welcome to all of you back to the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast with me, your host, Dan Palmer. And in this episode, I enjoy what I believe is the fourth conversation I've shared with my friend and colleague, Jason Gerhardt, who heads up the Permaculture Institute over in the USA uh, and who I very much enjoy periodically checking in with as we swap notes from our um, respective journeys in the space of permaculture design and today's episode came about after Jason reached out and mentioned he'd had something of he didn't use the word epiphany or realization I think he used the word something had crystallized around paradigms around this distinction between mechanical and living approaches uh, which um, I touched on in the last podcast and episode where where I'm I'm exploring some questions and talking points arising from my engagement with the new permaculture design process book, Building a Permaculture Property, by Robin Michelle Avis and Dakota Cohen. And we're in the last episode, I, I looked at the difference between metaphors sourced in a mechanic from the world of machines and metaphors sourced from the world of life and started some conversation around that, asked some questions around that. And it's been so exciting to see the comments and to have private messages coming through, to feel that this conversation is important to others, that it does resonate with others. I don't expect it resonates with everybody. But for those of you that get something of why it matters to me, I'm really excited to and, and affirmed to, to have your messages support, uh, flowing in, to have the support folks signing up on Patreon at patreon.com slash makingpermaculturestronger or makingpermaculturestronger.net slash support. Thank you very much for that and I'm looking forward to continuing this series and really happy to drop this chat in with Jason right here given that it was um, was informed in part by the by the previous episode. So I hope you enjoy the conversation and I very much look forward to hearing from you in the comments or in private messages and uh, I'll see you in the next installment. Take care out there. Actually, I'm, just, I'm adding a thought on here. It occurred to me that I'd be about ready for a different kind of uh, intro music or jingle, not a jingle, but some some beautiful, uh, appropriate um, music. Yeah. F- to include in every one of these episodes. So I just thought I'd mention that on the off chance there's someone out there who appreciates what I'm doing and is a musician and would have something that, you know, you'd be happy for me to use or, or figure something out. Um Get in touch. Hit me up through the contact page at makingpermaculturestronger.net. Thank you so much. So, yeah, when I reached out to you um, about this paradigm thing, I had just come off a tour of a really huge uh, regenerative agriculture project uh, that they do lots of different things. Cattle, chickens, turkeys, all pasture-based produce. They deliver 100-plus thousand pounds of produce every year to their partners in the city and mushrooms, you know, all great stuff. And immediately though, when I stepped foot out of my car, I felt, I didn't feel at home. I almost felt like at odds with, with what I was experiencing. And as we walked and did the tour, you know, I started sort of placing that this was a production farm. And that was their goal. And the system was designed to increase production and very mechanically, you know, it almost felt like I was on an assembly line or a conveyor belt of some kind that goes around the farm and shows all the different systems. And this goes into that and that goes into this and, you know, all under the the, uh, umbrella of regenerative agriculture, which 
what they're doing is phenomenal. You know, feeding people that don't have access to good, healthy food. And if that's their singular goal, I started asking myself, like, is this the best way to actually, you know, resolve food insecurity is design a mechanical, very systematic uh, farm that can, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? maximize production you know solely like like that is the goal and i asked myself if i could design it i asked myself could i actually design this system could i design this farm and immediately i just felt no and that's led me to doubt myself you know doubt some of my capabilities like well maybe i don't know enough about holistic grazing or you know <laughs> whatever. Right. And I decided to rephrase the question into if I had the opportunity to design this farm, would I design it this way? And the answer was still no. And so then I knew I was kind of onto something um, else, not about that farm, mind you. I want to just sort of clarify that I'm not trying to nitpick this farm by any means i'm really trying to nitpick my own design process and in so doing i realized that i was i wasn't capable of designing a farm like that because my design process isn't so mechanical um, and if this, the singular goal was to increase production, I started asking, is a mechanical system the best way to do this, to maximize output, you know? And I, I don't know the answer to that. It sort of makes me feel like that, that goes into judgment territory. But it helped me get clear for my own self about what is my process and what are the likely outcomes of of a, of a regenerative design process versus, you know, more of a mechanistic design process, or maybe just using a mechanistic paradigm and someone who's really trying hard to use a living system paradigm. And as I learned more about the person I was walking with, I learned that he's an industrial designer by, by trade or by a, uh, education. His his college background was in industrial design, and I realized like that was the paradigm that was that had designed this farm that felt just sort of lacking in 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 life to me a bit to my own process. And I use the word crystallized when I sent you that email because it just kind of settled in in a way in me that I haven't felt before that my design process is always in motion and has really been shifting from a mechanistic paradigm into more of a living process paradigm and it was interesting to be walking on a farm that was designed that was regenerative like you could measure it and you could see that this farm is actually increasing land health right they're increasing the ecosystem health of of the the communities they're serving you know in terms of like 
dietary outcomes. Um, but it was still a machine. It still felt like a machine. And so that's like this like clarity that I'm starting to realize, especially from that last post that, that you, that you put up about, um, the book. Can you remind me of the title of that book? Um, building your permaculture property. That's right. Yeah. Well, the full, the full title is I think building your permaculture property, a five-step process to designing and developing land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you sort you had sort of picked out a lot of mechanical metaphors that were being used to, to describe that. And that was actually really helpful for me, the metaphors piece. And I've heard, I've read that from Carol Sanford. Um, and I do try to pay attention to what, what metaphors I use. And in so doing, I realized that I use metaphors from all over the place. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. using like, yeah. I use watershed metaphors. I'm using machine metaphors. I use a lot. I, I, I notice myself using a lot of militaristic metaphors and I'm seeing the truth in what, what Carol talks about of like really being careful about what metaphors we use and how that trains our mind to think in certain ways or think down certain avenues, you know, and, and the mixing and matching that can lead to inconsistency with the paradigm itself that you're using. And so it's really, for me, I guess the, the moral of this story is really that that stuff is so important. That self-awareness about where we're drawing our, our metaphors from, you know, our inspiration from in some ways and what kind of tracks that sends us down. I think, I feel like that self-awareness piece is critical um, to developing a regenerative design process and in some ways, Dan, I just want to be like, thanks for shining light on that, you know, and, and like taking Carol's work and, and showing, showing us different ways and, and giving us different examples to look at it through in different lenses. And it's been super helpful and I'm seeing it sort of uh, mature or in some ways in, in my own design process. Mm, <clears throat> So be it's beautiful to hear this. We're, we're clearly, I, uh, we're agreed on, for, for the both of us, this, is, this really matters. Mm -hmm. As you're speaking, I'm, I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone for whom it doesn't matter, or maybe it doesn't matter yet or, or whatever. Mm. And it's, and, and this, this process of engaging with the, the book, this book and its authors has been really a really rich opportunity for me to, to ex like to explore differences in the orientation to this kind of stuff. And does this stuff matter? Does world does worldview matter? Does paradigm matter? Does metaphor uh, matter? And I can really empathize, like I can really feel like, for example, in the case of the farm you talked about, right? It's like, how can that be bad? It's, it's like, it's improving right. soil carbon. It's feeding <laughs> all these people. Like how, how right. can that possibly be a bad thing? And also with a, with an individual me uh, metaphor where we use a machine, a gun or a, um, uh, uh, just a pulley and lever thing or whatever it is, a pinball machine um, to shed light on 
on some aspect of, of design process or, or yeah, well, let's say design process, um, where it, do, it does shed light, like it does point to certain aspects and give you a handle on on things. Again, no, I, can, no. I can totally empathize with the, well, how could that be bad? How, how could, how could what, what's, what's the problem with where that comes from? And, um, and part of where I've, uh, I'm arriving at in this whole conversation is, is, is just really being accepting of, of where we're all at. And yet um, I've realized mm-hmm. what I'm doing in these posts and a lot of my work in general is, is, is pointing out to a door that exists for me, <laughs> you know, saying, mm-hmm. hey, we've been raised in a, a deeply mechanistic culture. We've been trained to, in a sense, be machines and think as machines. And the fact that we so unconsciously and default to mechanistic metaphors is not neutral. It's not neutral. Like it, right. it, th- it throws a certain energy out into the world and it shifts the nature of what it is we're seeing, no matter how, you know, no, no, it's fine. We, you know, we, we, we can just put it to one side and um, we're really talking about the same thing or, or, or whatever. I, I don't believe that. And um, it's, it's really just pointing to that door and, 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 and inviting anyone who's interested. And what I'm, what I'm get, hearing from, including yourself right now is from folk that are, that are, have already felt the presence of that door. And what I'm talking about for me is the door out of the, the, the mechanical cage, the, the mm-hmm. cage of, of mechanistic thinking into back into the world of life and which includes living metaphors. And, um, and it also includes the, the multidimensionality of, of, of accepting the, the, the relevance of machines you know, and their enormous, amazing contribution to our life um, mm-hmm. and, and of function of production of, you know, of that functional, um, focus but also equally allows space for things like beauty and wholeness and life and right. and and um, supporting any living entity to, to authentically develop its capacity to express itself um, and these things get sidelined by by that narrow mechanistic focus that's right and i i mean another story i could share is like i said at the beginning i was uh my fiance and I were at, at a Zen monastery for a month this summer. And we actually thought we were going to stay there for a longer time. Mm. And I struggled there. Like I was really struggling and it was, it was really about keeping up with the schedule and the schedule felt like I was on a machine. I was on a conveyor belt. It was just like move from this to this, to this, and never think about anything, you know, in the process about, what your own self-interest is. And actually, you know, in a fairly big way, and you know this from our previous conversations, I've been a Zen practitioner, been a Zen meditator for 20 plus years now. Mm. And that experience actually shone light on emergent growth within within my own um, self-awareness practices to where I very deeply have been looking outside of the traditional avenues that I've been exploring outside of Zen Buddhism um, because I felt like I was on a machine and I didn't feel alive. Right. And that's my number one goal in life. I want to feel as alive as possible. You know, Mm. I'm not, um, I'm not a machine. And I don't want to feel like I'm, I'm a cog, you know, in a machine or, or just a wheel that's spinning. And that's been really interesting too. 
Um, and I'll also even say that some of the design projects that, that I've been deeply immersed in for the last few years, I see how they've both benefited from the, the living system paradigm that that's been emerging in me and um, suffering from the mechanistic paradigm that, you know, I, I have as a vestige of just being raised in this society. Mm. And it's all just kind of coming together in a way, especially around me really figuring out for, for myself as a, as a person, but as a professional as well, what am I interested in? And that's been a really big inquiry for me for, for a good year. Like, what am I really trying to do? You know, I design regenerative agriculture projects around the country. I design college campuses, private properties, you know, public parks. And so much of the permaculture stuff is like food focused. And I've really realized that I just don't even care so much about the food thing. And these experiences of touring this farm, living at the Zen monastery, they've helped me see that what I'm actually interested in is regenerating culture, you know, which starts with individuals regenerating themselves and, or, or, or doing it together. But we really got to be careful of what worldviews we're using, what paradigms we're using, you know, what metaphors we're drawing from, where we're seeking inspiration. And that determines the outcome. So it's, you know, it's, for me, it's like not good or bad. I don't want to, I'm not judging that Zen monastery. I'm not judging that farm. It's not good or bad. It's just, what am I aiming for and getting really clear on that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, I appreciate you sharing this. It, re- it resonates with where I'm arriving because I've been through a lot of work on myself with regard to judgment and wanting to pick fights and mm. take some sort of higher moral ground or whatever it is, and say, you know, well, hey, I, I, I was I was there where you are now, and 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 this is where you can get to from here. But to to invite myself right. out, out of all that, and at the same time, you know, as, as well as questioning, sitting sitting with that never-ending question of who am I and what am I about? Um, I, I feel that even as you're speaking, I felt an, an enormous sadness and an anger, but a, a sadness around, to me, how, how how clear it is to me that this, in a way, the water we swim in, this mechanistic worldview that we, we don't even see, how like it's a, it's a tragi- tragedy to me how, how narrowing that is and how much that constrains the... Um, the life and the potential mm-hmm. of so many things, including our design processes, you know, that, that we, when we come to ask questions about design process or, and that metaphor about um, living ecologies, we, we can mm-hmm. un- so easily turn them into these effectively, these, <laughs> as funny as it sounds, these dead static fragmented machines Absolutely. By, by defaulting to the very same kind of underlying, <laughs> I don't say under, underlying machinery, but, you know, the, the, under, the underlying um, like the the shape of the eyes through which we look, and the, and the underlying shape of the the mind with which we think, and uh, and so on. Yeah, and this makes me think of it. I mean, another you know little story here mm-hmm. is this project I've been developing in St. Louis. 
one of our programs over the summer was to, so we grow a lot of food for um, communities that don't have good access to fresh, healthy food. And we have various programs that, that do that. One of them, we sort of flipped the CSA concept on its head and called it an ASC. And so from community supported agriculture, or you could even say like community supporting agriculture, we called it agriculture supporting community. And this came out of the pandemic where, you know, we're in a low income area with this project and we put flyers around just one neighborhood um, adjacent to the farm and got 15 people to sign up to, to receive a food box every week, you know, basically a CSA share. And over the course of the entire summer, they came to the farm to pick up their shares. They got, you know, walked around, they got more comfortable, started doing different things, different tasks, harvesting some of their own stuff, um, smelling herbs, like really just kind of immersing themselves in the land and the, the sensual experience that we've built that place to be. And here we are thinking that, you know, a, a big purpose of this project is to resolve food insecurity again. And they, at the end of the season, they had, I was gone at this point, but they had come back to the farm, come to the farm to pick up their share for the week. And they brought gifts for the staff and they had made face masks. Uh, they had, they had face masks made that had um, CF on it, which is Confluence Farms. And underneath it, they wrote the healing land. And we were like, whoa, <laughs> we think we're like a production farm here, you know, serving the community. And they're saying, this is the healing land, you know? And they didn't mean just healing in terms of food, but like they're their visceral experience of being on the farm, you know, connecting with nature. And that's just, that's almost like a foreign concept in, in the city um, where this project exists. And it was, it was like a reflection back to the project about what we're really doing, if that makes sense. And what better place for, you know, your mission to come from than from the, the, the people you're serving. So that was really interesting also to, to see what is our impact, you know, and not just dumb it down to, to one thing. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. What is our purpose or our intent and in, in letting the, um, the, the actual people experiencing that, let you know what that is rather than simply sort of repeating it to yourself. That's I love, right. I love that. And mind you, we never had a logo. Like we didn't even have time to design a logo. We just were going to produce food. Mm. And they basically designed our logo and tagline. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I think there's just so much to this worldview that we're raised in that there's so much more to, to designing and working within ecosystems than, than the material yields that we get from it. And I don't know if that's a material yield, like healing, you know, I don't know where to place that. 
spiritual mm. or or you know what sort of petal of the permaculture flower it might land on but um it's just really interesting you know to see people interact with the system you've designed and and see see what they say about it you know yeah. Yeah, yeah. It makes me think the my understanding of the etymology etymology of the word um, healing is is related to whole, and mm. where, where to healing is becoming whole. And when we yes. when we think about what a what a machine based or a mechanistic worldview is, if if nothing else, it's 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 about parts. You know, it's about fragments, um, and it's about assembling parts or fragments and, you know, in brilliant, ingenious ways to make complicated uh, assemblies that, that, like you say, generally have a very narrowly focused purpose, like producing a lot of food or mm -hmm. um, transporting person from um, A to B or having a Zoom that's call or what, what, whatever it is. That's right. But the, um, the, the, the magnitude of the difference of, of, even, even like, 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 like part of the idea of regeneration for me that I've got from Carol Sanford is that it always involves pruning away the, the, the sludge or the crud or, or what doesn't belong, you know, and, and in my own personal process, um, which is resonating with what you're sharing, a lot of that has been discovering these layers and layers of, of, of mechanical ways of thinking and approaching things and, and slowly loosening them. And it's an ongoing process and a, it won't be done by the time I'm dead, but, you know, just peeling away these layers and every layer I peel away, it just sort of, it supports my eyes and my being to tune into what wholeness actually is, you know, because mm -hmm. without realizing it, we say, oh yeah, yeah, no, we know what a whole is, you know, but at an unconscious level, what we're doing is we're seeing a whole bunch of parts joined in certain ways. Um, it's been a process for me to be able to, to start to actually feel and sense and lean into and engage with a whole as a whole, and then let let the conversation start there. Like, okay, what, yeah. who is this whole? What is this whole? What, what's going on in its context? What would it mean? What would what, what would a really a healing, a healthy step to support its ongoing wholeness and growth and evolution and expression? What what would that look and feel like? And letting a process come from that space. That's right. Um, it's it's a different it's a different thing. It's really a different thing and an ever emerging thing, like you're saying, you know, in some ways when we do these podcasts, I'm, I'm always hoping that the listeners are realizing that they're listening to, you know, two very seasoned permaculture designers developing, you know, in process, basically. It's like, there's that, that saying, I'm a work in progress, you know, I'm always a work in progress mm -hmm. forever, which also makes me think of you know, Ethan Soloviev, right? Yes. He's also, you know, works um, with, with Carol Sanford. And I think I had mentioned to you before he had wrote a paper on regenerative agriculture some years ago. Yeah. And he recently released a new one oh. that a new sort of updated version where he was kind of, you know, developing it further and a totally different, different style mind you the first one was like a, a white paper you know white page black ink and this one was really almost like a photo journey um and one major change that he made from the previous version to the most recent one is 
he got rid of practices. Hmm. He said, there are no regenerative agriculture practices. And the previous version really listed out, you know, I don't know, seven or eight or so, you know, Hmm. practices of a regenerative agriculture project. And now he's saying there are no practices. It's a process. It's a process you use and not a thing you do, you know, which is something Larry Santoyo, longtime permaculture teacher says about permaculture itself. It's not something you do. It's something you use in what you do. Hmm. And it's just beautiful to be a part of this community of, of people developing and really engaging with this, you know, doing work, like building projects and, and developing their process and ability to, to both design and build things better, but also, you know, their internal process, their own self-awareness. Yeah. And yeah. I see how much that is required. That self-awareness piece is really, it's, it's a, it's a prerequisite, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it needs to be there, like be be fully happening alongside. Yes. Yeah, like fully. That's right. In a reciprocal way, I I, I contacted Ethan some weeks back because I had the thought of like it would be a great time to bring him onto the the podcast. Mm. Um, yeah, and I've had a I've had a lovely private conversation with him in the past past about the influence of. Carol Sanford's work on his own, and, and as part of his process, he, um, he he shared he was also working with Martin Prechtel, uh-huh. um, and that was another significant influence. But anyway, I'll check out the new paper, and I'll maybe I'll ask him again. It'll be lovely to, to have him chime in on, on the on these topics. Yeah, I really appreciate how he's he's just very open with his uh, his developing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, to give you a heads up where I'm going next with the um, this little series, which is for me is becoming less and less about that particular book. Although I'm very grateful mm. for the book as a as a stimulant, you know, as as, as it kind of stirred some stuff up for me and has given me a great opportunity to um, to put some stuff out there. Where I've realised a lot of it is around really me saying, "Hey, does anyone else see this door here? Like, <laughs> with this, like this beautiful light shining through into this kind of kind of." relatively dead and boring place we all seem to be stuck or whatever um mm. without any expectation or whatever but 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 knowing already that from what's coming in that other folks are like hell yeah <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and what, what does it mean to step outside of that door and still be doing permaculture design because there's a lot of really understandable fear about but if it's not you know if it's not really functional and um, prescriptive and if effectively mechanical um, won't it all fall apart and we won't actually get anything done and isn't isn't all that's outside that door a bunch of hippies singing kumbaya and know, smoking <laughs> weed you know or whatever um, and and so exploring for me as you've been doing like the possibility that no 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 that the processes and the projects can still be super productive they can yes. still be incredibly robust and rigorous and sound and long lasting and and in fact so much more authentically regenerative and then also have this degree of life and aliveness at every level inside them in terms of the people involved in terms of the the ripples of energy that are being sent out into the the, the wider universe um and 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 the the you know all, all these false separations it's, it's either beauty or function it's either um um rational and 
and rigorous or intuitive and soft and kind of, you know, flaky or whatever the false split is that it's possible to dive underneath those splits as, well, as, as much as what you see whenever you look at a, <laughs> an, an ecosystem or a tree or a, or a frog or any, 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 any thing that is alive. Mm-hmm. And as you know, permaculture has been criticized for being, you know, a little on the uh, airy side or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, I love Larry Santoyo's uh, term for this purple breathing. Um, it's, <laughs> he says that very tongue in cheek. Um, yeah. And, you know, part of me thinks that, well, for one, it's undeniable that a lot of people that are really into that stuff end up coming to permaculture, right? And so it exists in permaculture as a pattern you know, probably across countries, like there's all kinds of people um, dancing in circles and, you know, holding hands and singing songs and stuff um, in in permaculture communities all over the world. And so those people are a real pattern within the the field of permaculture. So what's drawing them, you know? Mm. And I'm not so... I'm not that into that kind of stuff, um, but I do think having, I do think some of that sort of harkens back towards a more complete culture um, and, and the uprooting of some of that ceremony and ritual and, and spirituality is also a part of the mechanistic paradigm. And so yeah, I see that in myself. I, I, I very much see like getting getting rid of some of that uh, those pieces of the mechanistic paradigm and not being as as ashamed. I think is almost where it comes from. Like some permaculturists don't want to be associated with that because they're like ashamed by it. Yeah, and I'm like, well, you know, there's tons of I build a lot of projects that are that happen at at communities that engage in that kind of activity and they're also really productive they heal land and they heal communities and to me that's actually that's been like a recent realization partly influenced from sand talk which you turned me on to tyson yankaporta's book that he's really pointing to community dissolution as 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 a major cause of you know the the self-centeredness and greed that it that generates this industrial mechanistic worldview mm-hmm. and what does community look like you know it's a group it's a lot of people getting together and have holding you know rituals if it's only just like a community dinner you know like that's a ritual that's a community ritual and so the lack of some of that is also, I think, pointing towards towards more mechanistic ways of thinking. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I see a, a larger pattern, I suspect you see also, as we acknowledge with some of what I see is, is like, I, I really think there's so much in Carol Sanford's, which I think in turn comes from David Bohm's statement that the root cause of all the major issues we face is, is fragmentation. Mm-hmm. And if right. you dig deep enough, that's what you find, some kind of tearing apart. 
um, false separation. That's um, right. But that as we as we encounter a lot of the fallout, the, the, the more surface level, um, let's say unintended negative consequences of of this fragmented mechanical approach, the default thing we reach for to try and do something about them is intensely mechanical. And, and at a high level, we see that very strongly. Like I, I haven't tuned in a lot to to Bill Gates, but but I've seen a little bit of stuff about his perspectives about the future of the world and how that's hyper-mechanical. You know, it's like it, using mm-hmm, mechanical mm-hmm. technologies to solve climate change, to sort out agriculture, to eradicate poverty and, yep. and so on, which to me is, or, or and taken to an extreme, you've got Musk and whoever, Bezos or whatever, Yep. Getting off to colonize Mars um, with their with their brilliant machines, mm-hmm. right? Um, well, and you look at some of the green revolution work that the Gates Foundation has engaged in, like in India, right? The farmers are rebelling. They're like, "Hey, you know, we don't actually want this." So when the community starts rebelling against the thing being forced on them, like mm. that's definitely an indication that something's awry, you know. Yeah, yeah. Some, and we're on. seeing that we're seeing a lot of that all over the world. You know, there's a lot of uprising going on, and I really do think it's a rebellion against this this machine that we're that we're living in. You know, yeah. There's the the band Rage Against the Machine. I was I, I, that's so funny. I was <laughs> I was thinking of that exact line just like ten seconds ago. Yeah, Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's you know I, I come out of that sort of counterculture aspect that that rebelliousness and i i can now place it actually i'd say it's refreshing because i can place it i can now see like where that comes from and, and what i'm actually rebelling against rather than just authority or you know some other arbitrary term that you can give to it mm-hmm. i think it's the mechanistic paradigm yeah yeah I'm, I'm doing a lot of work on myself too in terms of inviting myself to shift out of that rebelling against kind of mm-hmm. attitude to the yeah more of the buckminster fuller thing about um you don't you don't change the world by fighting against what you don't like um change it by by generating or co-creating systems that make make the what, what you were originally pushing against redundant and and slowly yeah. that's where the, I was going to say where the pendulum is swinging. <laughs> they sneak in so effortlessly these, these mechanical metaphors, but um, where, where my focus is shifting is 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 just really get kind of getting the cobwebs out of my system and getting myself kind of cleaned up enough so I can really just go for it and, and pour life force into the, mm. the co-creation of what I'm like living design process and just these different kinds of processes that don't start from the usually unconscious assumption that that design process itself is a is a kind of dead machine you know like a, a linear formula of a sequence of steps you follow it'll be like this like this like this and design and implementation right torn apart and all, and all the rest you know is it possible to to just not start there to start somewhere else to start with life and so well, how does how does the rest of life work and what would it mean to start there and um, it's so it's just so exciting where that's taking me in the, in the different energy, and yet it's Absolutely. still a, it's still a process not to feel that as as I felt when I first encountered the the, the book I'm writing about at the moment, um, 
to 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 not be kind of seduced or taken over again by that the rage the rage against the machine or the, you know that the rebellious energy of wanting to push back and kind of when the when the thing is that I remind myself too is and, and Carol's been useful in that regard with me she talks about um, moving from uh, a kind of an approach of judging others to building capacity or to to uh-huh. um, rather than pointing pointing out what's what we think is wrong with each other or where we could be doing better getting in shifting the field of the dynamic into what would it mean for us to be supporting each other to grow and change and evolve and 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 from the assumption that that's what we're all trying to do it's not it's not like we're, we're trying to go backwards we're all trying to move forward we're all trying to become more whole and more alive and contribute more beauty to the world and of course we've picked up all kinds of residue from our socialization that isn't necessarily the best you know the best <laughs> fit um, means to that Absolutely. end and we've all got work to do to clean out the the things we're reaching for and to shift them up and to support each other in that yep yeah i was when i taught a um i taught a, a school called Naropa university for six years and it's a very alternative school so a lot of young people show up at this college to um kind of almost create community amongst like-minded individuals and there is a there's a ton of you know rebelliousness like it's a very rebellious culture and the uh i put a quote at the top of my syllabus for the first the intro to permaculture course that i taught there and it's a david holmgren quote i found i don't know 10 years ago maybe he says and Oppositional environmentalism is a very limited project about trying to stop the world we don't want. Mm. And now we have to create the world we do want. Mm. And it was a very, like, I put that on there very intentionally because I knew that the culture of the place was very much engaged in rebellion and opposition to the world that was. And just like you're saying, there is another approach. (laughs) And it and it, it almost doesn't even have to include opposition, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and I'm I'm excited by this the 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 possibility to harness the energy and like the tension, the the, the differences, um, and and use that in terms of moving moving forward towards whatever it is we we do want, rather than mm-hmm. getting stuck in a in a back and forward. There's there's a framework called the Law of Three that. Carol Sanford uses, it comes originally from the spiritual teacher Gurdjieff, I think. But the, the, mm. the, so often there's an activating force, which is met by a restraining force. And that's often where it stops is these two forces just fight each other indefinitely, like the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers or the, sure. the, the loggers and the environmentalists or whatever it is. That's right. um, but what, what would it mean? And, and then often the best outcome on the horizon appears to be compromise, which is a lose-lose. But what would it mean if... Um, if we were to discover, like, use this energy here, this tension, this these feelings to to propel all of us forward, yeah. And, and so we all end up somewhere different that we couldn't have imagined. It was generated or birthed or emerged from the whole dynamic. Um, I think it's know. a super ripe edge, and I I actually love engaging with with the the rebellious energy in, mm. in folks. Mm. A lot of students to courses show up with that and it's fun you know (laughs) it's fun to talk about and and poke at you know and 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 talk about what's actually 
what's going to actually work here? You know, what's going to be effective? There is an endlessness to it, you know, of, of fighting. I read some quote from Wendell Berry recently where he, he said, uh, that's just a little bit from this line, uh, when the passion of battle wears off. And it just hit me in an interesting place where I, I felt like, oh yeah, there is a ton of passion. Like you almost take enjoyment in battle sometimes, but it always wears off. As, as you're speaking on one of the books on my desk right in front of me right now is by Christopher Alexander. And the title is the battle for the life and beauty of the earth, <laughs> <laughs> which is on the one hand, it's, it's, it's the battle for the life and beauty of the earth. It's not the battle. <laughs> That's right. It's not the battle against the mechanicalness and deadness of the earth. At the same time, it's, it, the word battle is there. And that's that's an energy I've striving to shift in myself. Um, that's right. I love that book, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. To- yeah. Incredible book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, along with Carol Sanford, Christopher Alexander, as you know, has been an enormous um, source of... Yes power and clarity and um, inspiration for me in terms of moving away from the the machine towards the rest of life. That's right. Now, I wanted to just drop into if anyone's listening, because I I don't know if you come across this, but so often when I explore this stuff with other folk, a very common um, comment or energy i get back is people find it very affirming and and you know thank you so much this has helped me put words to something i was just feeling to this point and this is very affirming for the way i do things Mm. Um, and yet if we then progress to doing some stuff together it's clear that just as is inside me inside them is still this enormous (laughs) amount of um mechanistic stuff like as soon as we come to process it's still like step one observe step two design etc and and letting it really land and, and it will be open to the possibility that if you're even thinking in something is what seems is such a no-brainer way that comes from the mechanistic w- worldview it's not mm-hmm. it's not a it's not sourced in the world of of life you've got to be really intentional you know it takes i keep using the word rigorous like we have to be rigorous with ourselves. I don't know if that's the right word. Somehow that sounds a little aggressive, but I do feel like I have to be rigorous with myself, like really watchful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Very So much for myself. So myself, I'm doing all kinds of stuff at the moment. Mm. Um, journaling and uh, you know, all kinds of processes, dipping into the stuff called possibility management. Uh-huh. playing with this concept of a gremlin, which is a handle for part of your underworld. <laughs> just, the, just the complexities of being human and all these different things that um, that are going on under the scenes that we can slowly become more tuned into and, and, and start to uh, kind of figure out or invite those that are, that are aligned with where our deeper self wants to head and those that are really just having fun getting in the way and, yeah, contradicting us and sabotaging us and all that. For sure. I've started actually writing um, by hand again. I used to, I, I do a lot of writing, you know, even just for myself, you know, as a, as a processing mm. um, art form that 
I've just started writing with a pen and page and, and moving away from my computer because I'm I find that the computer, especially nowadays, with like all these auto everything's autocorrect to the hyper, you know, degree. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, that is not the word that I wanted to use. Thank you very much. You know, X. <laughs> so I'm finding some freedom and just scribbling on a page and also makes me think about something we've talked about in the past, designing with software versus designing hmm. um, by hand and in terms of drafting. And I, I think there might be something to said there, say there where the machine itself is, is sending us in certain mechanical directions. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of part of what I was getting at before too. It's like the, the container we use toward life is so often itself mechanical. And if you're, mm-hmm. if you're designing on a computer, it just, it just has implications for what's possible and the, 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 the nature of the interaction, which of course is not to say to, to deny the enormous power and relevance and the contribution that computers and technology and drones and phones, et cetera, can make to healthy living processes in no way mm-hmm. about, it's not an Amish approach or whatever. Um, although that said, I think there's a lot going for an Amish approach, but it's not about throwing away machines and technology that like not it's not a judgment thing but right. how do they how do they become in service to something that's alive and um yeah it's been a, a big part of the practicalities of me figuring out what a what a um or kind of leaning into what a um a more living process might, might be, be like like at the moment right. we're developing a house site and a lot of it's so fun it's it's just a different way of using the same things like for example rather than drawing a, a design on a screen or a paper um, using a drone to get an aerial photo and printing that out, so really benefiting from the drone technology, the printing technology, mm-hmm. um, and and then designing on the site itself um, by marking stuff out, so yeah, full three dimensions, and then and then using the drone again, and so the the design is happening in real time on the site, in, in complete integration with the implementation. And the ongoing observation and all these things is complementary, simultaneous streams. And then the design on paper is is being spat out um, as a byproduct mm-hmm. of the actual living process, as opposed to that's right, yeah, imposing it. And, and I think it's good to emphasise that part and parcel to me of this mechanical worldview is imposition. There's the idea of of designing something over here and then imposing it over there, and we don't realise mm-hmm. how how deeply that simple idea is totally inside of um, permaculture. And for me, at least on, on examination, it's not, it's, it doesn't resonate with, with um, permaculture's radical originating impulse. Right. Exactly. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a way to articulate it to somebody else almost mm. more, yeah. than, more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. To a client or a, contractor or whatever yeah totally yeah yeah and so i'm really enjoying um like doc- documenting and using the really practical ways of using a lot of the similar technologies but it and to me a radically different orientation to the project and making those available because otherwise mm-hmm. i know for a lot of people they are like right now they're hearing two people go back and forward and mention mechanistic this mechanistic that a lot and for for a practically oriented person could be a kind of a head scratcher or like, yeah, great, but I've got a design project tomorrow, Dan, like how do, what, what, what do I actually do? Mm-hmm. And so I'm really conscious of wanting to follow through um, on the, on the talk and the intention with, 
with, oh gosh, I was about to say nuts and bolts, but with the, de- with the details <laughs> <laughs> of, a, of, a, of a more alive, um, more alive process, acknowledging that it's, there's, it's just another, another trap is the dichotomy that either it's mechanical or it's alive, you know, that, that if you make, if, if this happened recently with, with the colleague, but by, by drawing attention to the distinction, like to me, there's a very real difference between looking at something as if it was a machine and looking at something as if it was alive or, or using a mechanistic or a living metaphor. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a difference. It's a really powerful, valid, important um, difference for me, a distinction. Um, but that's not to say that there, that, that it's a separation that or a dichotomy that it's either one or the other. It's like, sure. you know, it's m- much more like some sort of continuum that we're all moving along. And it's not like you just step across mm. the line. Okay, goodbye, mechanistic worldview. Hello, living worldview. I'm done. <laughs> you're, you're constantly moving up and down this sort of continuum where, where um, layers of both are folded in together. And it's way more, more messy and complex than that. And Absolutely. I mean, on, on that note too, that like in the last article I published, I chose to focus on contrasting a mechanistic and a living worldview there's more worldviews than that. Like I've, I really benefit from all of the five worldviews, aristocratic, mechanical, behavioral, humanistic, and living or regenerative mm. that Carol lays out. And, and so it's, so, and I think like pretty much all the time, there's aspects of all five wrapped up inside of what's going on in the moment. It's, it's complex. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it takes a lot of self-awareness. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, that's, it's interesting you say that it makes me think of something I said earlier and something I've been thinking about a particular design project where there have been a lot of mixed um, paradigms being used, you know, sort of mechanical over here, living over here. And it's in some ways led to what feels like a, a uh, dichotomy on the project or, or almost like a, a, a polarization on the project that we're not all working on the same page or not always working on the same page, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, so I'm living into that one. I'm not, I don't know if there's like a mixing and matching that's healthy or what level or, or what, but I'm, I'm working on it. One thing I've found useful is again, say Carol's name for the 10th time, um, but is the, <laughs> is the moving away from mixing and matching or how do we connect these things to, to the nestedness, you know? So, so the way I, I see it is that um, acknowledging there's more than two worldviews, but if we just play with those for a moment, because otherwise it's going to, it's going to be too much to try and convey through the medium of voice, but um, there's the there was there there was and is the world of life, you know, things that are alive, and um, and then within that emerged what we've come to call machines, which is sort of a I don't know, I guess a subset of tools that humans have created, and culminating in mass uh, machines that are mass produced assemblages of very you know precisely. Um, fabricated com- components and then those machine that, that those the, the industrial revolution and, and these machines have become more and more commonplace and more sophisticated and more complicated um and and so that realm which initially was you know what there wasn't that many machines 
I don't know, back when there was like a typewriter and a light bulb and mm-hmm. the, the, the Ford T, um, things, things have grown. And so the size of that kind of um, subset has grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. And in our minds, it's like it just kept growing until it actually got bigger than the world of life. So life now becomes mm-hmm. like a subset within this mechanical universe. And it's like we've got all these machines. And the funny thing is that corresponds to how we live, right, a lot of us. Um, yeah. And I'm not talking about other people, including myself in this, you know, I, I, a lot of my day to day. And right, right now I'm looking at a computer screen and a camera and a microphone. And I drove the car this morning and I might use a chainsaw later. Right. My, my day is dripping in machines. Um, in my case, it's probably closer to half a half at least. But for a lot of us, it's yeah, it's literally 90% of what we're engaging with sure. is, is machines. And then we'll go and see a tree on the way home or something. <laughs> such a such a big shift. So So it's not just like a, a worldview kind of mentality thing. It's it's literally mirroring how our lives have been organized. And yet I think most of us, if we pull it out of the open, can appreciate how ludicrous it is to to, to give that any kind of validity. <laughs> you know, the idea that there's this there's this giant machine and within that here and there there's there's little pockets of life that clearly we've we've gotten things inverted there. And and but coming back to your, the original point was I I liked it approach it in that way like the situation you're talking about about there's flavors of this here and this there in a particular project is how might these be nested so um you know like there's there's places where production function mechanical mechanical um, focus is great but that's going to sit within mm-hmm. um, a, a larger holding pattern that's more towards life mm. and, yeah that's really helpful actually for for one particular context for me oh great yeah and that's also something that we've woven into at the Permaculture Institute, our diploma process. We did a redesign maybe two years ago, and we require a nature immersion practice mm-hmm. because of that exact thing where so many of us are, are not immersed in the natural world and, you know, requiring that as, as a dis- designer in training is seemed like a really good thing to say yeah. you know you yeah. need to get out in nature and document it you know as, as you say that i'm realizing what i just shared before you could just use the words technosphere biosphere right that the technosphere mm-hmm. has emerged within the biosphere and then it's come to actually seem like the technosphere is the is the hot is the whole and the biosphere is a part go and do some of nature immersion just get those right. two things back in right relationship right like Ground yourself in the That's fact right. that the biosphere is the is the is the is the holding container, as it were, and the technosphere belongs inside of that, and it's gotten too big for its boots, and that itself yeah. is a big deal, and is pretty deeply caught up with um, the the chasm we're falling into right now. Mm-hmm. Agreed. One yeah. one thing we haven't touched on um, aspect of all this is that I'm. One of the reasons I'm grateful for the opportunity to engage with the uh, with the book and the authors, particularly Dakota Cohen, who's got energy for the for the for the interchange and really exploring differences and similarities in our perspectives. Conscious that it's easy on a podcast like this, it's very, it's easy for me to have guests like you along, where there's a huge amount of common experience and um, you know we've 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 gotten to similar places. There's a massive amount of resonance, mm-hmm. which are, which is powerful, and we can really affirm those in each other and, ex- and explore the nuances. Um, and yet I'm excited to, to be 
um, getting into dialogue with folks coming from a radically different place or where where there's there's not that felt sense of, of resonance. And to me, that's an important conversation to be having because it's it's practicing the art of speaking across seeming divides, mm-hmm. um, which in that itself, that division, divisiveness and polarization right now is tearing the the the, the culture the human culture apart. Um, right. And it's really really like something I'm really or like more or less terrified about in terms of the consequences of of not actually being able to communicate from echo chamber to echo chamber anymore and and I'd hate mm. to see that um well I mean David Holmgren published an essay recently where one concern was that that could actually tear permaculture apart as well mm. I'll have to um get that essay from you I don't know that I've seen that if you if you if you're anyone else go to Hongren design okay dot com dot au it's he's got published essays and great that one's like the second or third most recent lots of lots of comments lots of um it's, it's stimulated i guess you could say it's somewhat co- controversial but it's quite a, kind of a long considered um sharing of of david's take on the the pandemic and it's in relationship to permaculture mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That'll be great to read. I similar to you, I, I definitely feel I actually find myself somewhat more drawn to people that aren't like me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in some way, or or maybe it's even just that what I what I uh, what my expectation is, you know, some I could tour a farm and feel totally unconnected. Um, to the to the people that are doing the same work as I am, but go to the hardware store and feel like, wow, I just had a super rich exchange with the owner of the hardware store, you know, mm-hmm. and just you know go about your day and and the and the shops and things that you frequent. It's it's very rich to to bump up against people that aren't like you and find commonality. That's actually yeah. I love that. That's yeah. that's my favorite part of it, actually. Yeah, 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 fully. Probably easier too as an approach, right? Because there's probably more people out there that aren't like you than than are. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, in some ways, it's like, what's? I'm not going to make a whole friend circle of people that are exactly like me. Like, yeah. <laughs> what what do I have to gain? <laughs> Or, or, you know, what do they have to gain? Like, mm. oh, what does our culture have to gain if we're only interacting with the choir, for so to speak? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dan, I am smelling a delicious pot of vegetable curry uh, in the other room, and my stomach is drawing me there. So I feel like I need to get headed in that direction. Beautiful, Jason. So lovely to connect with you again. It's very always or a nourishing experience for me. I, I hear, I appreciate hearing of your adventures and your your inquiries and questionings. And um, it's it's a beautiful sense of a um, um what, what's the right word comrade or mm. co co traveler. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like like it feels like my my work with making permaculture stronger in your your path. We just we we just when it's when it's time we dip in again and, and swap notes and then go off to have our, have our own adventures. 
I love it. I long, always long may long may this pattern continue. Definitely. Enjoy your enjoy your meal, and thanks thanks so much for reaching out, and All thanks right, so much man. for sharing these um these insights and, and and reflections. Really, 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 really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you.